Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 19th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, so we have a lot to catch up on. Uh, let's start first with a couple of big projects that are going to be filming overseas. Uh, let's, let's start first with Furiosa. Brad, you, you wrote the story up for SlashFilm.com. Tell us about it. Indeed. So uh, this is the Mad Max Fury Road prequel that will focus on Charlize Theron's titular character uh, from that movie, except uh, she won't be reprising her role. It will be Anya Taylor-Joy playing a younger version of the character. Uh, and today there was a big press conference down in Australia with director George Miller uh, and new uh, franchise star Chris Hemsworth announcing that they would be shooting the movie in Australia next year. Um, and this follows uh, in the footsteps of Mad Max Fury Road, which uh, shot some of the movie in Australia, but uh, got held up a little bit with some weather issues when some heavy rain ended up turning one of their desert landscapes into a little bit more of a, a lush greenscape than they were anticipating. So they had to move <laughs> production to uh, Namibia to finish the movie instead. Um, it's funny, actually, uh, initially, George Miller said that he was planning on shooting uh, a sequence in Australia this summer in June because they wanted to take advantage of the uh, higher tax incentives that they were offering. And it was anticipated that there was going to be some legislation passed that would reduce the tax incentives next year. So I guess they wanted to get this big expensive sequence out of the way soon. They had uh, had vehicles ready and were ready to do like stunt performer performances and stuff. But now that the legislation isn't pulling back on those tax incentives, they can hold off and they're waiting to shoot everything next year. Yeah. And didn't, wasn't it reported somewhere that this is the biggest film production on Australia history? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, the production is going to cost. Um, well, they said it would bring in about $350 million to the economy. They didn't say how much the movie would cost, but it will be the biggest production that has ever shot in Australia. That is insane because there's been some big films shot in Australia. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of Marvel movies have shot in Australia recently. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Speaking of big productions let's let's talk about this tv series that's in production at amazon it's the lord of the rings tv series and we we finally learned the budget and 
<laughs> this is a budget bigger than almost any film ever. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah. So a little while ago, we there was a report going around that said the entirety of the Lord of the Rings TV series, we're talking multiple seasons here, was going to be about $500 million. And that's pretty big to begin with. And we're talking multiple seasons here. But now we've learned those those estimates were off because the first season alone is going to cost about $465 million. And uh, which 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 means that if they get to multiple seasons, and right now the plan is for at least five seasons of this, it's going to go way over that and that for you know for reference that's five times more than the final season of game of thrones costs so it's a lot of money but you know amazon has deep pockets so i i think they'll be okay i think they can afford this well yeah i mean it makes sense chris they have five times as many episodes as game of thrones has in the season right no (laughs) probably not i don't don't know (laughs) i'm guessing not uh yeah that is a lot of money to spend on a TV series that you don't even know. Well, I mean, it is Lord of the Rings. It has to be huge, right? Right. And, uh, you know, the Amazon already plopped down $250 million for the rights alone. So they're, uh, they're going all in here. They want, they want this to be a, a, you know, a massive thing for them. And it probably will be. I mean, I'm sure. Wait a second. Does that, this. does that $465 million include that $250 million? It's unclear. It doesn't sound like it because the, the, this is talking about uh, the report comes from New Zealand where it's being shot. And it says uh, Amazon will, ru- will spend roughly $650 million New Zealand currency, which is $465 million in U.S. dollars just for the first season alone. So that really makes <laughs> wow. it sound like they're not factoring in that $250 million they paid just for the rights. Well, that's that's a lot of money to make back, but I'm I'm sure Amazon's gonna get all these people that I don't even I don't even think I know anybody that isn't already subscribed to Amazon, but I'm guessing you know there are some people and they're they're gonna subscribe after this TV series hits, right? Yeah, I mean I'm <laughs> sure they will. Yeah. Do you know anybody in your life that doesn't have an Amazon subscription? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I feel like. <laughs> Even if they don't like watch the shows, yeah. most people have it for the the delivery and you know all that stuff. So yeah, okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about Ryan Johnson, the director of Star Wars: The Last Jedi. He was recently asked if he would be interested in directing an episode of The Mandalorian. This will, if this happens, it would like send a bunch of fans into a hissy fit. I'm sure. Brad, tell us about it. Yes, I think half fans would probably jump for joy and the other half would throw themselves (laughs) into lava. Um, But yeah, so this comes from um, an interview with uh, USA Today reporter Soraya Wilson. Um, It doesn't seem like this is an interview that has been published yet. It might be for for an upcoming profile story, uh, what have you. But she mentioned uh, on her Twitter feed uh, some of the things that they had discussed, which included asking if he was interested in directing an episode of the Mandalorian. And he said that uh, he was something he was dying to do, but right now he's so focused on getting knives two off the ground. That is something he doesn't have time for. However, it is something uh, more than just wishful thinking on his part, because apparently it's something that he's talked to executive producer Dave Filoni about. So at some point, presumably when Ryan Johnson visited the set on the first season, um, he, they probably talked about the possibility and uh, if the Mandalorian, you know, keeps going, which I'm sure it will for a while, 
then hopefully there will be a chance that maybe he could direct an episode sometime after he's done with Knives Out 2. But then again, he does have a deal with Netflix to make two more sequels. So who knows if he's going to have time to do that? Yeah, I'm just shocked that Ryan Johnson, he's like such a great guy, such a nice guy. And I, I've seen some of the hate being thrown his way. You know, I've been in Twitter threads that, you know, have included, included me and, and him and just seen the visceral, the, just the vicious response that he's gotten. And I'm surprised that he would ever want to step into the Star Wars waters ever again. I, like, if I was him, I'd be like, you know, what? I'm OK making some Knives Out sequels for Netflix. Like, we'll, we'll just play over there. But uh, apparently he says he's dying to do it, which... Generally, I, I would write one of these stories off because, you know, a filmmaker gets asked something like this in an interview. And what is the filmmaker going to say? Like, no, I'm not interested in that. Or, you know, they usually say something like never say never, you know, or something, yeah. something like that. But it, it, it is interesting that he has actually talked to Dave Filoni about it. Yeah, uh, I would I would love to see him do that because he's done a bunch of TV in the past. He did uh, some episodes of Breaking Bad. He did, of course, uh, Terriers, which I did underrated TV show. And uh, he has that great bottle episode of Breaking Bad. I would love to see a bottle episode directed by him in the Mandalorian universe. I think that could be very cool. There's some other opportunities, too. You know, maybe there's a chance he could do something for Book of Boba Fett or the Ahsoka series. There's a, there's a lot of opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if it happens. It, it's it's funny because I feel like those, the you know, the half of Star Wars fandom that you were mentioning that that hates Ryan Johnson, they're, they're the half that's like, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are saving Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy needs to be fired and stuff. And just, what happens when Dave Filoni hires Ryan Johnson to, to direct an episode? So, like, those fans explode. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll come up with some like weird QAnon conspiracy theory where they're like, Kathleen Kennedy has, is blackmailing him or something. That's literally what will happen. I guarantee it's it. just JJ Abrams in a Ryan Johnson costume. <laughs> yeah. I remember when they had these theories that Kathleen Kennedy was not involved at all in the Mandalorian. She didn't step on set. And then like, I was at some event and Kathleen Kennedy like was one of the panelists and she mentioned how like her time on set and seeing the, the, um, what is it called? Stagecraft. Yeah. The volume. Yeah. The volume. And she was talking about that. And then like, I reported that and they were like, Oh no, she was just there one day. And then like, they come up with the, the, <laughs> Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian behind the scenes episodes, and you see her like all over the set. So I don't know. Peter, are you suggesting these people actually <laughs> don't understand how things work? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how they thought that an executive, like, the the person running Lucasfilm, would not be involved in, you know, the biggest thing going on right now in the company. But okay, let's move on. Uh, there's a big story today. This one actually kind of excites me. I'm excited about this, Chris. Rock'em Sock'em Robots is going to be a movie starring Vin Diesel. Tell us about it. That's right. Uh, uh, Mattel and Universal and Vin Diesel are all teaming up to turn Rock'em Sock'em Robots, which is, uh, I would call it a toy, but it's also a game. It's like a toy game. And it's been around since... It's on board game shelves, even though it really isn't. And it's been around since the 60s. And uh, for those, if you somehow don't know what this is, listener, it's it's a game where two plastic robots stand in a tiny boxing ring and punch <laughs> each other until one of their heads flies off. And <laughs> that is going to be a movie starring Vin Diesel. And Vin Diesel is also going to produce it. And uh, in in the quote he released, he was saying that he thinks this property has the type of uh, 
world building franchise making potential of other things he's been in. So he wants to turn this into like a full blown rock'em sock'em robots franchise. Uh, and uh, I don't really know how that will work. We don't really know what this movie is going to be. We don't know if he's going to be one of the robots or he's going to be one of the people controlling the robots, kind of like that movie uh, Real Steel with Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Well, uh, he's, already, he's, already been, he's already been a robot before, right? That's right. He was the Iron Giant, and he was recently, uh, what was that movie, Bloodshot, where he's kind of like a sort of robot. He's got like nano bots inside him i'm so i'm pretty he, sure he's a robot in fast and furious too <laughs> yes that's right yeah he's a yeah, robot the, in that for the longest period of time like people would be like vin diesel's a bad actor i'm like well you, you could look at a uh, iron giant <laughs> that would be the movie i'd point to i think uh, vin diesel can actually do a good performance yeah. if, if you, like uh saving private ryan is i think a great example that was like before he became a star and he has like, yeah. a supporting role in that and he's actually pretty good in that so i think with the right material, Vin Diesel can act. And maybe this is that right material. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> uh, Chris, did you ever play with Rock'em Sock'em Robots when you were a kid? You know, I never had one, but I definitely remember like a neighbor having one. And I, I, I yeah. used that one. But I, I don't think I ever actually owned the, the Rock'em Sock'em Robots game, even though I, I, I did enjoy it as a child. Yeah, I never owned it. It was one of those toys that like you would always see over a friend's house and be like, oh, can I play that? Like, that yeah. looks so cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brad, do you have any history with Rock'em Sock'em? I had the same thing where I didn't have it, but I played it at other people's houses who who did have it. But like for me, I just feel like we already had a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. It's called Real Steel, and it's great. Yeah. If you haven't seen Real Steel, it's awesome. So just make a sequel to Real Steel and like just leave it at that. Yeah, well, the problem with that, oh, that movie is great. I agree with you. And it was directed by Sean Levy, Sean Levy. But the problem is he got like pulled into like the TV world with Stranger Things and all the stuff he's doing now. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you that it does there need to be a Rock'em Sock'em movie. I don't know. That said, I do think the way to do this, and I said this in our Slack channel, is to have like this ring and outside the ring there's like all these like it's a battleship of controls like these clunky huge levers that like a, you know the person outside the ring has to like run from side to side and pull things and press buttons i don't want to see like in real steel it was like this like small remote control right it, think? i mean it, it depended there was like some robots had like a team in at like a computer station yeah. uh like the one that hugh jackman and his kid had had like a remote control with voice command so it depended yeah, well, the thing I like about the robots in, in the game, <laughs> it's so funny that they're making a movie out of this because it, there's really, like, no story whatsoever about this. But the thing I like about them is they're so clunky. And I feel like I feel like that is what this needs to be, is, like, clunky robots. A steampunk clunky. real steel. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> why does everybody make fun of steampunk, Brad? Well, yeah, you'll have these crazy old tycoons with top hats and goggles building their robots and fighting. That would actually other. be amazing. I would love to see that. And they're like, oh, they have like, you can see like their gears and shit. Yeah, I want to see that. Let's make that. Movie. I'm not a huge steampunk fan, but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and like Abe Lincoln could be in there for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. He's like, he's like, he's like ringside at the fight. Like, ah, oh, I've come to see. These mechanical men fight four score and seven fights ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch that only if Vin Diesel has like one of those like twisty mustaches, or he's playing Abe Lincoln. Vin <laughs> Diesel, like it's me, Abe Lincoln, to watch the robots. <laughs> okay, 
I don't even I, I don't even know where I was. I, I had a transition planned for the next story, but I, I've completely lost it at this point. So the, the Spider-Man No Way Home is the next in the what, what's going on there? Is there like a droid making noises in the background? It's one of the Rock'em Sock'em robots calling in. Oh, uh, OK. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home is the next in the Spider-Man MCU series. And we've previously reported, it's been reported and confirmed that Elf, Alfred Molina is going to be a part of this as Doc Ock. But he he did an interview recently where he did what you're not supposed to do. He talked about it. Like I don't know if he read his NDA or what, but uh, Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was we were pretty sure that this was an accurate report, but Alfred Molina has confirmed that he is returning uh, as Dr. Otto Octavius or Doc Ock for Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, there have been rumors that haven't been confirmed that this uh, Spider-Man movie will head into the multiverse, might feature Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield reprising their own versions of Peter Parker and Spider-Man from their respective franchises. Um, and Alfred Molina has confirmed uh, his return. And he even went so far as to talk about exactly where Spider-Man No Way Home will catch up with Doc Ock again. Um, and apparently it will happen uh, in the moments surrounding the climactic scene where uh, Peter Parker is trying to stop Doc Ock's uh, experimental fusion machine from uh, getting out of control and destroying New York City. So uh, I'm, I'm betting what that means is that this will interrupt that climactic scene and we, Doc Ock won't have that redemption at the end where he stops the machine and takes control of the arms that have like kind of messed with his mind. Uh, and so he'll still be in full on villain mode um, in order to, you know, probably set up a big climax where all the Spider-Men have to spite, fight the various villains from across all three of the Spider-Man franchises. But uh, yeah, so and the, and the, um, if you hadn't assumed this already, since it's been 17 years since Spider-Man 2 came out, they will be digitally de-aging Alfred Molina as well. Yeah. And uh, I think what's most remarkable about the story is that the the sniper that was positioned across the street from Molina's household by Marvel was taking a lunch break at the time. So he was unable to stop him from saying this in the interview. Snipers got to eat. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. They, this is interesting because we do know that there's going to be other characters in this movie. Like who has it been rumored? Like Green Goblin, I believe. Right. Uh, I don't know if we've heard anything about Green Goblin. I know that um, there was news about Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro, but I don't know about yeah. Willem Dafoe or James Franco returning as either of the versions yeah. of the Goblin. Well, I know it's been reported. Maybe it hasn't been confirmed, but I, I think, I don't know. I, I could be reaching here, but the interesting news here for me is that not only is this like a multiverse thing where, where we're finding characters from different Spider-Man multiverses being pulled into the story with uh tom holland's peter uh yeah with tom holland's character and uh, but it's also going to be people being pulled in from different times in those timelines maybe apparently if green goblin is in the movie i don't know if green goblin's in the movie i'm not confirming or denying anything here. but you would think that like uh it, it's not just all in one i don't know it, it, i don't know that seems really interesting to me I'm I'm excited for this. I am excited what what Marvel can do with the multiverse, and I just hope they get the digital de aging right. But Marvel's been pretty good on that front, haven't they? Yeah the the way that they've done digital de aging with like Robert Downey Jr., Kurt Russell, uh, Michael Douglas, Samuel Jackson, it's all been really good. Yeah. Okay. 
Next up is a story about another Disney animated uh, property that's being turned into live action. It's a spinoff. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, who uh, they did Bridesmaids and they recently did the the wonderful and silly uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, are now making a Disney movie that's a spinoff of uh, Cinderella that's going to focus on um, her her wicked stepsisters uh the movie is quote a fairy tale musical comedy that reimagines the cinderella classic from the point of view of her infamous evil stepsisters spanning their early childhood through the marriage of their universally beloved stepsister and beyond uh and so on so there you have it that sounds fun (laughs) I, i like these two women and their films uh i don't know how interested in this plot i am but uh after barb and star i'm i'm pretty much in the tank for whatever else they're going to do next. I will say that the stepsisters are like so much fun. I was last time I was at uh, magic kingdom in Disney world, we ran into them and they're just, they're just such fun characters. And I, I could totally see what they, they, they might be able to do with this. And it also seems like it's kind of a Cobra Kai kind of take on this where it's going to put them in the forefront and like uh, Cinderella is messing everything up and, I don't know. I, I think there could be some fun there. Brad, I know you're a big fan of their last movie. What do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm I'm down to see anything that they want to do. And, you know, this sounds like a fun twist on, you know, some familiar characters. So, yeah, just let me see it. Yes. OK, lastly, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but the Oscars are happening next weekend. This, Is that correct? This weekend. This, uh, that's what I meant. This week. Sorry. This upcoming weekend. Yes. It doesn't seem like that's, I don't know. No one's talking about it. I don't know. I, I, I see film Twitter, but nobody in the real world seems to be talking about the Oscars. But uh, yeah, it's going to be weird this year. Brad, tell us about it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously because of COVID, award shows have been, have had, you know, kind of the wind sucked out of their sails. Not that award shows were the most exciting thing to begin with, you know, before the coronavirus pandemic, but it's hard to have these big, in-person events that gather, you know, Hollywood's finest for an award show where everyone drinks and glad hands each other. So the even though the awards will be in person this year with the, you know, winners accepting giving speeches in person, both in the United States and uh, across the pond, there will be a different approach to the format that will shake it up. We don't necessarily know specifically what these ideas are or how they're going to change it. But uh, Steven Soderbergh is one of the producers on the uh, ceremony this year. And it said that they just really they, they wanted to kind of just step outside of the comfort zone of the traditional award show format. Um, he said that it's going to feel like a movie in that, quote, there's an overarching theme that's articulated in different ways throughout the show. So the presenters are essentially the storytellers for each chapter. We want you to feel like it wasn't a show made by an institution. So they're in in this conversation that they had about uh, the Oscars with the Associated Press. They like refer to the presenters not as presenters, but as cast members. And so they're treating this like some kind of you know big film production. And uh, I'm not sure if that means you know it'll be edited like a movie or um, if the you know the the presenters or cast members as it were will be like performing as they're giving the awards, adding some drama or comedy. But it, they won't be like having the cheesy banter, you know, that they normally have leading up to the uh, awards. So um, they, they're saying that there'll, there'll be some kind of, you know, connection that's made. And so it's, it's a lot of like 
kind of highfalutin, like, oh, we're doing something so grand talk. But if there's anybody who can pull something off that's interesting and that will hopefully shake up the Oscars, it's, you know, a filmmaker like Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, I do think the selection of films this year is we are celebrating smaller films. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if general audiences tune in because there's less for them to you know be invested in. I feel like a lot of these people out there have not seen any of these movies. All the mank heads will be turning in to see mank. <laughs> uh, Chris, are you going to tune in? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I don't really like the Oscars. That's uh, like in general. I just don't like them. Uh, that said, I, I love Steven Soderbergh. So I'm very curious what he's going to do. With it. At the same time, uh, I'm getting my my second <laughs> shot that day. And I'm wondering if I'm going to be like delirious because everyone keeps talking about you know how they when they get the second uh, shot. Some people say they, they feel really sick. And I'm wondering if I'm going to be like completely out of it by the time the Oscars air. I guess we'll see. Maybe it'll make it better for you. Yes, yeah, I mean, I'll just be like having a fever dream while watching it, and it'll, uh, this is the best Oscars ever. Yeah, I wonder if if it's going to take a pandemic to make the Oscars entertaining and good. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and read this podcast, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.